We genuinely are a blessed people. The church at Bobby Branch has enjoyed many, many years of having godly men to shepherd over this great congregation. And I think it's a wonderful privilege that Brother Alan Hughes has been added to that number of shepherds, uh, that plurality of men who care for our souls. And I am thankful and I want to encourage and commend the eldership, and I hope that you do as well. This congregation has had a long history of strongly supporting those good men who have served in that office, and I want to encourage you to continue to do that. The gospel, the good news to the Galatians. These good brethren who lived in the cities of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, these brethren were so blessed by having heard the gospel that is able to save a soul. The gospel, however, is written in such a way that it holds forth both blessings and curses. It holds forth that which is good to be looked for and that which is not so well. The idea of preaching the good news was God intended for it to be delivered by men. He intended that there would be a method of declaring that good news. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, Paul writes, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. That's the way God designed it. That's the way God planned it. In Acts 15 and verse 7, in the latter part of that verse, Peter says, God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That is, it was through the mouth of those who would preach the gospel. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 15, Paul would write, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. You see, those who God has planned to preach should preach in such a way that people will listen, people will learn, people will obey, and people will be saved. The churches of Galatia appreciated Paul when he brought them good news. The messenger is often congratulated and appreciated because he has helped someone to see the good news. In chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, Paul said, You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God or even as Christ Jesus. He goes on to say that they would have even plucked out their own eyes and given them to Paul. They were willing to sacrifice because he brought them salvation. It was God's news 
but it was through the messengers of men that God had chosen. Well, now when you get to Galatians chapter 6, Paul is going to speak about sharing with the one who brought the message to them. He said in verse 6, Let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Now, I know many people might look at this and say, well, Paul was trying to say that so that the Galatians would send him money. No, that's not what it's about at all. In fact, if you study the life of Paul, you realize in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that though he had the right to insist upon it, he didn't do that. In fact, Paul didn't want what they had. He was willing to labor with his own hands so that he could be able to preach the gospel to them. But here's the bottom line. The good news is too precious, too important, too needed by men for it not to be carried And unless there are some men who are supported and encouraged and, if you will, paid for so that they can carry the message, it won't go as near and as far as it ought. Jesus himself said much the same when he sent his disciples out on the limited commission in Matthew 10 and verse 10. He said, take no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, For a worker is worthy of his food. In Romans 15 and verse 27, Paul would write, he said, if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, it is their duty to also minister to them in material things. In Paul's eyes, the gospel, the good news, needs to go out. Now, why does it need to go out? Here's three things we're going to observe in our lesson this morning. Number one, we're going to survey God's law. He has a basic law, and I'm going to tell you it's just simply this. Whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. Then he will speak specifically to sowing to the flesh and then sowing to the Spirit. Let's look at those few verses in verses 7 through 10 now. In verse 7 it is stated very simply, very plainly, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now, the truth is, you and I often deceive ourselves with regards to the consequences of things. We think we are special. We think we are unique. People feel as if they can do something and they will get a different result than what everyone else got. Or maybe get a different result than what they had gotten previously. Let me illustrate that to you from some passages of Scripture. When Moses was preparing the children of Israel to cross over into the Promised Land, he was giving to this new generation the law the second time. They had received it earlier But this is now a new generation. All the older folks have passed away. He's trying to explain to them, when you go into the promised land, you need to not allow yourself to think, oh, now we can do what we want to do. He said, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. 
They're going to go into the land. There are going to be people there who have been worshiping in different ways. There are going to be people worshiping different gods. And he says, I don't want you to be deceived to think you can do that. We live in a multicultural society today. And people want to say, well, if you want to be a Buddhist or you want to be a Muslim or you want to be an atheist, then it really doesn't matter. No, it does matter. You see, what a person sows is what he is going to reap. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, the church at Corinth was facing a society that was incredibly immoral, just like we live in today. And he's trying to explain to them, don't let that influence you. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, but don't you know today that those sins don't really count? That they don't really matter? Well, really? I think the world is deceiving itself. What you sow is what you're going to reap. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, very simply, be not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits or good morals. People think, I can hang around with those ungodly people and they won't influence me. Oh, but they will. Pretty soon you're going to be using the same language they use. You'll be doing the same things they do and think nothing of it. James 1 and verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. It's very easy to be deceived, but farmers recognize the principles of harvest. For just a minute, think with me about a farmer and then I want you to bring that over into the moral realm. First of all, whatever one sows is what he's going to reap. Back earlier in the spring, many of you went out into a field and you planted various kinds of seed. Some of you planted beans, some of you planted potatoes, some of you planted tomatoes, some of you planted corn. And you expected to get what you planted That's the way God designed it in the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 11 he says, Let the earth bring forth grass and the herb yields seed and the fruit tree yields fruit according to its kind. He goes on to say that the herb yields according to its kind. The fruit yields according to its kind. Verses 21 and 22 he talks about the sea creatures and the birds of the air. And he says they also come according to their kind. In verses 24 and 25, the various animals and the various insects also according to their kind. There's a principle that you all recognize. What you sow is what you're going to reap. It's not going to be something different. The second lesson that the farmer understands is that one reaps in a different season than the one in which he plants. Last week on Sunday evening, we referred to the book of Ecclesiastes 
chapter 3. Just looking again at verse 1, he says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what was planted. You see, there's a season for planting and there's a season for harvest. In Psalm 1 and verse 3, he says, that brings forth its fruit in season. There's a time in which you can go to a tree and you can find apples on it. And there's a time which you can go to that tree and you only see buds on it. The third lesson that the farmer understands is one reaps more than what he has planted. If you go out and you put a seed of corn in the ground, you're going to get a stalk, and on it you're going to get ear or ears. And on each of those ears will be a number of kernels of corn. Jesus in Matthew 13, 8 in the parable of the soils said, But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. In the Old Testament, you sow to the wind and you reap the whirlwind. You, you get so much more than what you planted. As it begins to turn the cogs of your mind and to say, okay, you, you get what you plant. You, re, you reap in a different season from what you plant. You reap more than what you planted. And then you come to the conclusion also, next year's harvest is the only thing that you can work on. Last year's harvest has already been planted. It's already been gathered. Some of you may look at your life and say, I have sown to the flesh and I have reaped corruption. I can't do anything about what I have sown in the past, but I can do something about what I am going to do in the future. Let's talk about sowing to the flesh. Chapter 6, the first part of verse 8. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Now, if you were to just simply study the books of Romans and Galatians, you would see that Paul really wants the church to see the difference between the old life of fleshly desires and the new life of spiritual ones. He recognizes that it's so easy for a person to want to go back and live the life of that old man and the attraction that it has. So he says in chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. There is such a distinction between the spiritual life and the physical life, or the fleshly life, that you can't, Live in both at the same time. Our problem is we try to straddle the fence. Romans 8 verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh 
set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. I think everybody has to do a little bit of self-evaluation and say, what is my life all about? What am I motivated by? Where do I want to end? Or let me put it a different way. What kind of crop do I want to harvest at the end of this life? He who sows to the flesh in that field so satisfy to satisfy his own fleshly desires. You see, if you decide, okay, I'm going to sow all my seed in the fleshly life, then you know what you're going to get, where it's going to lead. For just a few minutes, I want to talk about some dimensions of sowing to the flesh, about what you shall reap. He that sows to his own flesh shall of his flesh or of the flesh reap corruption. Well, there's a sense in which you sow in the physical realm, you're going to reap corruption in this life. All I have to do is go and look at those sins listed in Galatians 5, 19 through 21 and say, if I practice those sins, what will I experience in this life? What kind of harvest will come from them? Let me just give you just two illustrations. You go to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32. He's talking about a man who lacks understanding. In other words, he's not thinking about where this is going to lead, what the consequences of this behavior will be. He says he commits adultery with a woman, lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul wounds and dishonor he will get. I don't believe I have ever in any counseling situation had someone tell me when they committed adultery, I knew it was going to turn out this way. What I hear is people saying, I didn't think it would be this bad. I didn't think others would find out. I didn't think it it was going to destroy my family, that it would destroy my life. You didn't? The Bible has told you that. Wounds and dishonor he will get. He goes on to talk about the jealousy of a husband being a husband's fury. You're not going to be able to pacify him with gifts. You're not going to be able to avoid the conflict. You go to Proverbs 23. He's going to talk about the drunkenness. He says, do not look upon the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will behold strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, your heart will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or one who lies at the top of the mast saying, now listen carefully, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They've beaten me, but I did not feel it. That's why you were intoxicated. You know what happens after you get over your intoxication? You do know that you've been beaten. The black eyes, the bloody nose. Oh, yeah. There are consequences to sowing to the flesh. 
Let me also point out to you that even in religious matters, there's some people that are fleshly minded. They're not doing righteous things for a righteous reason. They're doing it for an unrighteous one. Matthew 6, verses 1 and 2, Jesus is talking about charitable deeds or alms. And he says, Do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. They were wanting people to give them glory and honor. That's what they got. You were seeking, you were sowing a fleshly desire, you got your fleshly desire. Same thing with regards to the prayers in verse 5. But the truth is, is that he that sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Do you remember what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 21? Where he says, not to lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. You see, when it comes to fleshly things, I can tell you where everything in this world will end when Jesus comes again. Nothing is going to be left. Everything's going to be burned up. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now very quickly, let's talk about sowing to the Spirit. Because I'm sure you would say, all you've been talking about has been negative. I hadn't heard any good news yet. Oh, but there is good news. He said, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary in while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You see, the sowing of the spiritual things will reap everlasting life. That means if I am guided by and my direction and the things that I do are spiritually based righteously based. What can I expect at the harvest? Everlasting life. Romans 6 and verse 22, he says that you have your fruit to holiness and in the end everlasting life. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. John 6.63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. All the good news is the fact that if I accept what God is telling me, I can know what kind of harvest I will get. But here's the problem. Just like we talked about, you plant in one season and you reap in another. Our problem is being patient 
and waiting. Just like the farmer. James 5 verse 7 says, Therefore be praised, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. For the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. The farmer knows that when he plants, he's got to wait months for the crop to mature. But there is a certain outcome. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15, he was talking about the great resurrection of the dead. The joy at the end of this life. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You will reap at the end of time. And that's the reason why the Hebrew writer, writing to Christians, some of them who were giving up, some of them who were giving in, they were facing terrible punishment and persecution at the hands of other people. And he said in Hebrews 10.36, For you have need of endurance, that having done the will of God, you may receive the promise for a little while. And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back into perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now let's take verse 10 very quickly as we bring all this together. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. You realize he's talking about opportunities. And when you think about opportunities, you've got to have something before you to see and say, this is an opportunity. In James chapter 2, verse 14, he says, you see a brother or a sister naked and destitute of daily food. Here is someone before you. They don't have enough clothes. They don't have enough food to eat. What do you do? In 1 John three seventeen, But whoever has this world's good, sees his brother in need, shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? There's a real test when it comes to sowing to the Spirit. Here I am and I, I say, well, I want to do something. I want to do something God wants me to do. Okay, here's your brother. Do you remember Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46? Where Jesus gives a picture as a shepherd separating the sheep from the goats. And he looks to those who are on the left hand and he tells them, he says, I was sick. You didn't come to me. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me drink. And they said to him, Lord, when do we see you in these conditions? He said, inasmuch as you did not do it to the least of these, my brethren, you did not do it to me. Oh, you mean then that sowing to the Spirit has some practical, everyday application? Absolutely it does. 
You have to use what you have. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10 says, Whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. For there's no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. You only have so much time and opportunity to affect this world for good. Sometimes you have to wait till you find an opportunity. Sometimes they don't present themselves. You may have the desire, but as Paul would say in Philippians 4 verse 10, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. We've got to look for those occasions of opportunity. And one of the situations that Paul describes, and I think in the context here in Galatians 6, is looking at those who are going to carry the message into all the world. In 3 John verses 5 through 8, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do toward the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Oh, you see, you began with verse 6 saying that you share with him who teaches you in all good things. And now he says, as you have opportunity, do good to all men, especially those who are the household of faith. It takes good news to know what to sow, where to sow it, and what it produces. If our goal is to make it to heaven, then it's going to require a spiritual life. It's going to require us planting the seed of good things in spiritual ground. And you can begin that today. I look out over an audience like this and I realize there's all kinds of people here. There's some young folks that are listening. Some of this is just really taking seed in their mind right now. They're just really thinking about it. Some of you have been thinking about it a while. Some of you know that now is your time to make a decision to become a Christian, to start living that spiritual life. Some of you are a little bit older. You've heard sermons multiplied many, many times. And yet you've just waited. It's better now to plant the seed so that you can reap a harvest than to just keep on saying, well, one of these days, one of these days. Some of you have already planted. But you've started letting the weeds of sin and the cares of this world start growing up in your spiritual life. And the truth is, you've now been sowing the fleshly things. What a wonderful privilege we enjoy this morning. That God has given us the opportunity to make things right. If you're not a Christian and you believe in Jesus Christ, 
Repent of those sins that you've committed. Make a change in your life. Come forward and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And be baptized for the remission of your sins. They did that in Acts 2, verses 38 and following. If you're a Christian and you want to be right with the Lord and you know sins in your life, why not make that change this morning? Come while together we stand and sing.